Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am your host, Carmen LaBerge. I have uh, I got an exciting hour ahead of us. Alan Cross is up first. He is uh, a consultant with the Evangelical Immigration Table, um, and he and I are going to talk about uh, changes that we are anticipating in, uh, in relationship to um, refugees, the most vulnerable people in the world, and how we as not only Americans, but Christians in America um, are responding to, you know, what uh, what amounts to a moral crisis. So he and I are going to talk about that. And then up in the second half of the hour, Alex Seeley will be back. She is the author of Opposite Life. Um, I invited Alex back because I really want to talk about uh, experiences that she is having, you know, really seeing the Holy Spirit move in the in the city, in the community where she now lives. So she is uh, an Aussie who is transplanted uh, to the southeastern United States. And God has um, really allowed she and her husband and those around them to uh, just really experience some extraordinary transformation in the lives of other people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what what's going on and um, how can we have that kind of opposite life and participate in in that. So um, you you've heard the the headline about Mattel. Uh, leasing, releasing just in time for the holiday season, gender gender neutral dolls. I'm not going to talk about that today, but I am certainly going to talk about that. So, if you want to check out what I'm thinking about when I'm not thinking out loud here on the radio, check out my blog at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Alan Cross is up next. We're going to be talking all things refugees and refugee resettlement and why it matters. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone... All right, the headline that I am reading is that between October 1st and October 21st, most refugee arrivals to the United States will halt. This according to several uh, resettlement agencies that have um, confirmed that to an organization called Keystone. Um. The Trump administration is pausing the refugee resettlement program in its entirety from October 21 to or October 1 to October 21. At least 29 people from places such as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Senegal and Ukraine, who were scheduled to move to sites in Pennsylvania specifically during that time, um, will now uh, have their travel suspended. Uh, so that's um, that's the that's the news that I have in front of me this morning. Alan Cross is with us. Uh, he's a consultant. He works with the Evangelical Immigration Table. He is a Southern Baptist pastor. He writes on immigration issues and the church. Um, you can check out what the Evangelical Immigration Table is working on at evangelicalimmigrationtable.com. Alan, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Good to be with you again. So these are really serious times. Um, tell me what you know this morning about uh, the refugee resettlement 
program of the United States of America? <laughs> yeah, uh, um, big question. It's been going on for for decades uh, as a way to to resettle the most vulnerable uh, uh, people around the world who can't stay where they are. They've had to leave their homes and their home nations, fleeing war and violence and persecution, uh, vi uh, victims of, of terrorism, victims of oppression, and, and and they've had to flee. And they go to, to UN refugee uh, camps and go through a laborious process and are selected. Um, uh, perhaps because of family ties, um, often, often randomly, and they go through a very rigorous process of, of, of being vetted, and, and it can take 18 to 24 months, and it's, it, it's this whole thing. Um, but, but many of them are in, are in refugee camps for years and years and years. Um, I've met refugees from, uh, from Myanmar and from uh, Southeast Asia and Africa, who uh, 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 children who are are in their teen years who spent their lives um, in refugee camps waiting, hoping to be resettled. And so, uh, you know, there are millions of people around the world uh, right now who who have, have been displaced. Uh, I think the numbers are around 70 million people have been um, displaced either in, with um, internally in their country or have had to leave their country. I think the number is over 20 million of people who had to leave their country and are, are waiting and hoping for another life. And so uh, uh, the United States has been a leading partner in that, recognizing um, that vulnerable people uh, need a place to go where they can live and thrive. And you know, America has kind of carried the banner for that. That that's important. I've called on other countries to do the same. Uh, our our approach to refugee resettlement has not just been so that we'll do it all, but we we do it as a leader and we set an example, and then we call on other countries to also have have compassion um, for refugees. And up until this past year, we were or last year we were leaders in this, and uh, and now um, a system that has been developed over decades with with refugee resettlement organizations. There are nine different major organizations that are approved by the State Department with hundreds of offices, and many of them are, are faith-based or they're friendly to, to churches and and, uh, and work with churches. So we've had whole networks of, of churches across the country who work and help with refugee resettlement when refugees come to place them, and it becomes a major part of their ministry. And, uh, and all of that is being dismantled um, systematically at this point. So, Alan, I'm reading uh, your piece post posted at ProvidenceMag.com. Um, the, the title is uh, Who Gets to Come Through the Golden Door? Refugees, Asylum Seekers, the Church, and the Soul of America. It is by Alan Cross. It's posted at ProvidenceMag.com. This is an excellent um, – uh, it's an excellent not only historical look into uh, how this has worked in the past, but it's an excellent um, moment in time look at where we, where we are and how we got here. There may be a lot of people listening right now who uh, would be surprised that organizations like World Relief, which is one of those nine uh, that you just described, those nine refugee resettlement organizations um, that have been functioning uh, for decades. Um, World Relief is a wholly owned subsidiary of the National Association of Evangelicals. And I think it's going to surprise people that, right, this is actually refugee resettlement is something that Christians in the, in the U.S. have been not only um, – you know, engaged in, but really on the forefront of leadership in terms of serving those most vulnerable people around the world and helping them resettle to places where they can be self, be safe and thrive. This is a this is a conversation about human flourishing, and it's a moral conversation. Talk with us about the moral part of this conversation. 
Right. Uh, it's really, it's a really key element in, in the Bible, how we receive and how we welcome people uh, who are strangers, who are foreigners, uh, sojourners, uh, how we receive them. And this is throughout the Old Testament. Uh, God speaks to Israel and, and tells them to welcome the sojourner as, as an aspect of the law and how his character is played out. And the sojourner is, is in the category of the vulnerable with the poor, the widow, and the orphan. And, and really how you treat them says everything about how you see God and how you understand his deliverance and his provision for you. And so when people come to you from other places in need, if you turn them away, and if you have nothing to do with them, it really says something about where you are spiritually and morally. It's not just a security issue. It's not just an economic issue. It isn't just, well, they have no right to be here. It, it, it really does reflect how you see God. Now, again, America is not Israel. Uh, we go straight to politics with this and immediately begin to look at, you know, we have regular people in places, um, uh, you know, communities across America who their first thought is, well, what are the political implications of this? And I always try to talk to people about let's not look at that first. We have immigrants who are here. We have refugees who have come. How are you treating them? How, what is your church doing? And, and organizations like World Relief have really helped uh, churches uh, especially where I've done work across the Southeast, uh, engage with their new refugee neighbors from a biblical perspective, where they would welcome them, where they would minister to them, help them, meet them at the airport, uh, help them with, uh, you know, with getting acclimated and and really living out the biblical command to welcome the stranger. And that does something to us that opens us up uh, to God. We, we, we trust him more. We learn to love our neighbor. We learn to love people that we can't get anything back from. And so that shapes us spiritually. It shapes our hearts. It shapes our churches. And I've seen churches just come alive whenever they step into this. And then it affects the rest of their ministry. It affects their ministry and their community to other people who are already there. And uh, uh, walls begin to come down and barriers uh, um, ethnic barriers and racial barriers, and and there's a spiritual vibrancy that begins to enter in the churches when they step into this because they're trusting God and they're and, and they're obeying His commands, and so all of that affects the local church, it affects the community, and I think it affects the soul of a nation. And this has been an area where where churches, evangelical churches, have really been active and have been leading, and they speak uh, to American public policy on this and say, hey, give us a chance to welcome people who are in desperate need, who are victims, who are people fleeing persecution, and as a America has done that, I think we've been blessed uh, as, as a nation to have a spirit of openness and not a hardness of heart toward people in need. And we have helped people around the world. We've, you know, we help disaster victims. We help all kinds of people. And there's this outflow of generosity that gets stirred up within, within America. Whenever you begin to shut that down and you begin to say, you know, uh, the golden door, Emma Lazarus is uh, a poem that's uh, uh, there at the Statue of Liberty uh, beside the golden door um, uh, of, the, of the new Colossus uh, poem. Uh, you know, whenever you close that door to the most vulnerable of people, to victims and to people who are fleeing persecution, and you say, you're not welcome here anymore, and we can't take you, uh, it begins to do something to the heart of a people, and, uh, and it begins to affect a nation. And I think as churches go along with that and say, well, that's just how it is, and you know, we can't accept these people, it begins to even affect the heart of churches. And that's, that's pretty clear in Scripture. Zechariah 7 is a passage that speaks to that, that uh, God wants us to minister to and, and to treat well the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. And it says, when you don't, you turn your shoulder, you close up your ears, uh, you don't listen to God's commands on this, and your heart becomes diamond hard. Um, it says about the people of Israel who turned away from the vulnerable, and therefore God, um, you know, uh, turned them over 
and uh, and there was a scattering uh, of the people. And, and so this is all very important that we continue to have a heart that is open and welcoming to people in need who come to us. And that's in our local communities. Um, it's, it's true in our ministries, and it's also true the way that Christians speak into uh, the policies of our nation, I believe. All right, when we come back, Alan Cross and I are going to tell some personal stories um, of our own experiences of congregations that have been transformed um, when they have opened their not only their doors, but their hearts to um, immigrants and refugees in their midst. Uh, I'm going to tell the story of All Saints here in uh, in Middle Tennessee. I've got a story about a church in Cornelia, Georgia. I am confident Alan has got stories as well. So those are the stories we're going to tell uh, up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I do think that fear is uh, often the thing that stands in the way of our uh, engaging with new immigrants and with refugees and having an openness to them. So, Alan, let's tell some good news stories of the way in which God has brought uh, new life and revitalization to congregations of which we are aware um, through new immigrants or refugees. So tell us a story that you know, and then I'll tell one I know. Yeah, uh, there are um, are quite a few Um I've done a lot of work in South Carolina and I've seen churches, uh, you know, welcome refugees there. I've seen, um, you know, churches planted. First Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina has has a Burmese refugee congregation that's meeting in their old historic sanctuary there, um, which is which is pretty you know, uh, incredible. And they have people joining with them. I've seen, uh, you know, churches in North Georgia and in, in uh, the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, uh, Summit Church, um, their uh, Pastor J.D. Greer, uh, they do incredible work with welcoming refugees that work with World Relief. They they have uh, families who've been trained to to sponsor, and that fuels um, and it's a part of their whole um, uh, missions perspective. So they aren't just sending people in missions and planting churches; they're also receiving people who come. But even on on a more personal level, I've I've, I've lived and pastored in Montgomery, Alabama, for uh, almost twenty years, and and uh, pastored there, and then began to to do this uh, immigrant. In a refugee work across the southeast, and and then I became a member at First Baptist Church Montgomery, and I saw uh, this is this old historic uh, First Baptist Church uh, downtown Montgomery. Uh, they work with the Baptist Association there in, in an immigrant ministry, um, and every Thursday, uh, Susan West is the director, good friend of mine. But every every Thursday, they welcome around 250 people from over 50 nations um, with something called Conversation English with 80 volunteers. And it's just the most incredible thing of sharing food and life. And they welcome people, but they also interact with their lives on a daily basis. Um, when there are tragedies, they go and they they meet with them and minister to them. And it's just been this this most incredible thing. And then the last story is just a little church in South Alabama, um, East Side Baptist Church, a small, small town of Union Springs who recognized that they had immigrants that were there from Southern Mexico, uh, mixed tech immigrants working in the agriculture and uh, poultry um, industries. And they began to work with the children. And it's a little church of about 40 people, probably mostly senior adults. But every Wednesday night, they have 40 kids um, from Southern Mexico. And so it isn't just refugees that come through the refugee resettlement program. It's also asylum seekers, it's, it's, it's workers, it's migrants, there are people who've come to our communities from all over. And whenever churches see this and they engage and they reach out and they welcome them and they begin to do ministry, this life just begins to flow into the church. And I've seen it over and over and over again. It's really pretty incredible. So I'm remembering a conversation that I had uh, a couple of years ago now with Reverend Michael Spurlock. He was the Episcopal priest 
who was uh, uh, given charge of a tiny little dying congregation called All Saints in rural right, right, right. Tennessee, yeah. right? And a, a, movie a movie has now been made, yeah. right? And it's called All Saints. And so I just want to, you know, part of that conversation, as I recall, is simply an openness to people who come and knock on the door. And um, because they were familiar, these these immigrants from uh, they were Burmese as well, as I recall, and uh, they were familiar with the red door of the Episcopal Church. Like, right. That was actually something that is like global in Anglicanism. And so they just this guy just literally knocked on the door and he knocked on the door for help. But the pastor had been praying for God to send a revitalization, like to send new people, like to somehow send, um, you know, something. And and he had to have his hearts open or his heart and his eyes open to the fact that this might be who God is sending. Right. And I, and I think I, that's part of it, Alan. I think that part of it is an openness among those of us who have always thought of the church in one way. Um, we we have to have our, our hearts and our minds open that God may send people who look very different than us, whose life experience is different than ours, and who want to plant uh, that thing that used to be a ball field a generation ago, and they want to plant it as a community garden because that's mm-hmm. what they want to do to grow food to feed their families. Yeah, yeah, I've been to the border multiple times over the past year, and one thing that I've learned on my last couple of trips is that the majority of the people coming and seeking asylum are evangelical Christians coming from Central America, coming from Africa. Um, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. I've met them. I've, I've, I've I've seen, you know, uh, churches who've opened up their sanctuaries um, to receive the asylum seekers and, you know, put cots in their sanctuaries and they're ministering to them and they're welcoming them. And they're saying, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the ones who aren't, we're sharing the gospel with. And people are getting saved every single day who come here to us. And so, you know, if we only see this politically from a fear perspective, we, we will miss what, what God is doing, what he has been doing. And if, if the refugee resettlement program is, is, is shut down, they're talking about, uh, bringing the numbers, which we'll know in the next week or so, with the numbers will be maybe down to 15,000. That will effectively be too low of a threshold for many of the refugee resettlement offices to continue. And so they'll collapse. We're turning away asylum seekers now through the Remain in Mexico policy, MPP. I think there are 48,000 that are now on the other side of the border waiting to come in. But all these processes, it's just getting harder and harder for the vulnerable to come. And there need to be good processes. We can't let everybody in. Totally agree with that. We should have a secure border, but at the same time, when people come to us and we have a chance to minister, we should recognize that this is a biblical mandate for the church uh, to go to the border, to minister, to welcome the people who do come into your communities and to not live from a place of fear with people different from us. And that's what I talk about uh, in the article, Who Gets to Come Through the Golden Door at uh, Providence Mag. And I really would encourage your your listeners to read that if they want to do a deeper dive into all of this and see what's going on. Absolutely. And also check out the Evangelical Immigration Table. You can do that at evangelicalimmigrationtable.com. You can follow Alan on Twitter. He's an excellent follow. Alan L. Cross. Thank you, my brother. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Next up is Breakpoint. All right, so God is on the move, and I like to talk about that. And I think that in these days when um, we become discouraged over many things, we obsess about the news instead of remembering that we're supposed to obsess about the good news, um, it's good. It's good for us as people of faith to look around and recognize where God is on the move and hear testimonies uh, to that and about that. And so Alex Seeley is coming back. She, um, she's she been on the program before um, and she is a sister in Christ 
She spent 17 years uh, in Melbourne, Australia on a worship leadership team. And then God called she and her husband here to the United States of America. I'm not sure they ever intended to plant a church, but that is what has happened. It started in their living room. It, uh, it then, you know, overflowed the bounds of, uh, of their basement. And now it's something called The Belonging Company. And thousands of people gather in worship uh, every every single week. And so I'm, I'm going to have Alex back. And she's going to talk not just about her book, The Opposite Life, but um, but stories of real transformation that uh, that she has experienced and witnessed in order that you and I might be encouraged not only to live the opposite life, but to extend the invitation of the opposite life to others. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We've all grown wiser from our mistakes and failures over the years, but unfortunately, there's no shortcut for our kids. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Yep, in most cases, our teens cannot truly grow up until they feel the painful consequences of their own failures. We shouldn't be so shocked when our kids made a dumb mistake. All of us are born with an infinite capacity to mess up. Gratefully, God has an infinite capacity to forgive. So the next time your teen blows it big time, and trust me, there will be a next time, continue to reach out in love. That doesn't mean you sweep stuff under the carpet and ignore it. But while you're cleaning up whatever mess they've caused, be sure your teen knows you're ready to forgive. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. with us uh, today, um, and she is a pastor. She's a worship leader. She's an author. She's been on recently to talk about her book, The Opposite Life. We also talked about uh, the congregation where um, she leads worship, and that's The Belonging Company. You can check that out at thebelonging.co. You can check out what Alex is doing at Alex Seeley, and Seeley is S-E-E-L-E-Y.com. Alex, welcome back. It's so good to be with you again. How are you? Well, I am. I am well. Um, are you well? I'm doing great, thank you. So, um, I really wanted to talk with you again, in no small part, because I felt like we we sort of left our conversation right in the middle the last time we talked, which is uh-huh. um, probably how most conversations go for most of us. And so, yeah. um, thank you for your willingness to come back and continue the conversation. Of um, I, I would I would love for you to simply share the passion within you to introduce people who don't know Jesus to him? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? Um, I just, I I think for me, not knowing Jesus means not having a compass, um, (laughs) having a north, because I think with this generation, any generation really, we need to have something that centers us. And my passion for Jesus is that he has changed my life. Like he, I haven't been part of a church and religious experience, but I've had a personal relationship with Jesus. And that changed my life because I was actually a broken, very broken little girl. And so I'd gone to church as a little girl. But when I discovered Jesus, when he came and you know, asked me if I would invite him into his heart, at uh, my heart. I I didn't understand what that really meant. You know, the Bible says about how 
sin separates us from having a relationship with God the Father. And the only way to have that relationship is through Jesus Christ, inviting him into our lives because he died for us on a cross and it was because of his bloodshed that made it possible for us to reconnect to God. When you repent of your sin and receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour, everything changed for me. And so because of that, I can't help but share my passion and my love for him to every single person I meet because we've got a world that just does not have peace, that does not know who they are. And the only way that you can have this is by knowing Jesus personally. So first of all, thank you. Um, thank you for your willingness to just share that with um, with us today. I think that there are lots of Christians listening right now yeah. who um, they have not shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone else in a really long time. They have lost mm-hmm. that that compelling sense um, that is supposed to be operating within us that you described, which is I can't help but tell somebody else. I, I can't yeah. I cannot keep this to myself. This this news yeah. is too good. The liberation yeah. from the from the bondage of sin um, is it, yeah. it's it, it's too great. The freedom I'm living in in Christ is too great for me to keep to myself. I want other people to experience the peace which passes all understanding. I want them to not to know Christ in order that they can know themselves and in order yeah. that they can live a life of freedom. That is really it seems to me as I read the opposite life and as I you know as I follow what you're doing yeah. that is your heartbeat. Mhm. Yeah, and I think the reason why people don't share it is because it's like anything if you go to a restaurant and you had the best meal of your life you are guaranteed the next day at work to tell everybody about that restaurant. And you don't care if people don't like Italian cuisine, say it was Italian cuisine, because you had such an experience and you're not going to get into an argument with someone because somebody can't argue your testimony, like your experience. But I think because we're not having those encounters in church, because we're not receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour, There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to be elated about. And so I would say to people, find Jesus, not just go find a church that preaches a good message. Find Jesus, because when you encounter the real Jesus, it will change your life. The cross demands change. So something shifts on the inside of you. So you can't help but share it because you've just tasted of something that is so sweet and so good that you want everybody around you to have that same experience. And I think where we lack, when we get told to evangelize, well, go and evangelize and tell people about Jesus. Well, people freak out because how do you tell something? That you have an experience. So if you're just trying to explain a theory, it's not as convincing as when you've encountered it yourself and then you can't help but say, hey, oh my goodness, I have just found the Holy Grail and you need to you need to join it with me. And I think that's the difference that I have found in Christianity of those that have really encountered Jesus or those that have encountered religion. Mm, that's a really critical distinction. Um, mm-hmm. And I like the way I like the way you use, uh, you know, a, a favorite restaurant or a, an experience yeah. in a restaurant. Um, I do think that we have lost the sense that evangelism is really helping people taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. Um, that's I mean, that's that's really that's really what it's about. How how can yeah. I through just living my life in Christ in front of other people 
um, hopefully as a winsome demonstration of of his goodness, mercy and love. Um, How can I help other people simply taste and see that the Lord is good? He has been good to me. I am evidence that the cross is powerful. I, I, I am a living testimony, a living witness. Um, and so I love that you're just inviting us to, um, to live publicly in a way that does not privatize our faith. Um, and so that seems to me to be, um, uh, what is different maybe about the way, um, that you're sharing the, uh, the invitation to the opposite life. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about some of those exchanges that you talk about in the book, um, because I think that helping people, you know, exchange religiosity or religion for a real Mm -hmm. relationship, they've maybe heard that before, but they maybe haven't thought about the really concrete exchanges that you talk about in terms of like, you know, death for life. Like, right. There's some, there's some easy, easy, complicated exchanges that we have to make um, as Christians. Uh, to live the opposite life. So more with Alex Seeley when we come back. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is Indeed, if I should speak, uh, let me speak about the grace, which is greater than all my sins. Uh, Alex Seeley is a person who speaks not not only about uh, the grace that is greater than all of our sins. She also talks about how we practically make the exchanges that are necessary to live the opposite life. The opposite life is the name of the book. Um, Alex Seeley is not only the author, she is a worship leader at uh, The Belonging Company. You can check them out at thebelonging.co. You can check out what Alex is doing at alexseeley.com. Alex, uh, walk us through some of the exchanges necessary uh, or that are a part of the opposite life. First of all, one of the exchanges is you have to surrender. You have to die to yourself in order to receive life. Like the Bible says that um, those that love their lives will lose it, but those that are willing to lay down their lives will gain it. And, um, And I think death to your way, your will, and a surrender to opening up the life of Christ is the first step. And you can only do that by knowing Jesus. You can't live the opposite life without Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to make those decisions. You can't do it by being a good person. You need a radical change by dying to your flesh and to your way into accepting Jesus as the way. And so when that happens, you realize that this opposite life that is is quite the evangelism in of the gospel indeed. You know, St. Francis of Assisi said, um, you know, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. And I think that's what the opposite life is really about. It's about displaying the fact that people will see the evidence of Jesus in your life when you're willing to go last instead of always wanting to go first, when you're willing to serve in order to be great, when you're willing to go the narrow road instead of take the wide and easy road. And, you know, instead of looking on the outward, look inside because the uh, sometimes the most obscure things are God's choice. You know, instead of hating when somebody hurts you, choosing to love, instead of just always wanting to receive, be uh, the one that gives and, um, you know, the, the one that's foolish. God wants us to be wise. And, you know, it, I've got so many exchanges, revenge versus forgiveness, worry versus worship. 
reaping versus sowing, fear versus faith, pride versus humility. And I found, I finished the book with awards versus crowns because I think so many people want to see an accolade and award on this side of eternity. But I think we forget about eternity and our whole life on earth is really training for the next uh, part of life in eternity. And there are crowns that await us when we choose to live life God's way. And I would rather a crown for eternity than a, a small trophy that, you know, my husband won a Grammy, but when he dies, that Grammy goes to somebody else and he doesn't take that with him. And so what would you rather, a crown in heaven or some little statue that's going to, you know, collect dust? <laughs> okay, the the Grammy as the dust collector um, is is pretty good image for uh, for this conversation, <laughs> right? Um, uh-huh. And I think that for a lot of uh, for a lot of people, uh, Alex, the disconnect, the disconnect from eternity, the disconnect from yeah. the uh, the glory of Christ, the disconnect from yeah. his, his not just his ultimate lordship, but what that means in terms of his lordship in this moment, his mm. lordship over my thoughts and my words and certainly my yeah. deeds. Um, yeah. And, and so. When um, when we have these conversations, like, right, I know there are people listening right now who are like, just tell me how. Um, and so I know this is going to seem kind of simplistic to you, but will yeah. you answer the question um, that plagues a lot of people who are, they want to know Jesus, they know a lot yeah. about Jesus, but they yeah. actually just need a practical answer to the question of how. How do I as a person who is ready and willing and wants this new life in Christ, how do I do that? You ask. You just ask a question. You ask Jesus to come into your life, and you can do this anywhere. You don't need to be in a church. You don't need to be led by somebody. Uh, The Bible speaks about when we seek him, we find him. When we ask, he answers. When we knock, the door is opened to us. When we seek, we find. And I think sometimes we've just got to say, Jesus, I surrender my way of doing things. I realize that I need you. And so, Father, I repent for doing it my way. And I ask you to come into my life. Make yourself known to me. Reveal yourself to me. And so I choose to be a disciple, a follower of you. And so show me your ways, teach me your ways, and I accept you as Savior and Lord in Jesus' name. It's that simple. But then the road to finding out how is through the Word of God. And so now you've got to set and realize that this Bible that's been given to us is our roadmap to doing things opposite. And the way to start is get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And know who this Jesus is. Get to know his ways. Look at the way he reacted in situations. Look at what he said. Listen. Dive in and unpack. Don't just read it as a verse to check off the list that I've done my devotion this morning. But ask questions. Jesus, what did you do in that situation when a Pharisee was mean to you? What did you do when Judas Judas betrayed you? Look Look at the way he responded. And then start reading the epistles 
Bibles, start reading Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians. And Galatians talks about being free in Christ and what that actually looks like. And open your ears, open your mind to learning, okay, what do I, how does this apply to my now situation? And then put those things into practice day by day, step by step. You're not going to do this all in one week. It's going to be a lifetime of discipleship, a lifetime of change. But I promise you, if you commit to doing it with a heart that is open, he will change your life and people will notice the change in yours. It's very simple. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your willingness to be used by God um, to simply draw others to him. Um, I look forward to our next conversation. I am thrilled uh, about the ways in which um, you are allowing yourself to be used by God to reach people who, you know, frankly, a lot of other people have given up on. And you have this this heart passion for introducing people um, to Jesus in order that they might be set free from uh, just every kind of bondage in this life. And so thank you. Um, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much for having me once again. It's always a pleasure. It's such a joy. That's Alex Seeley. You can check out what she's doing at alexseeley.com. Uh, you can also check out The Belonging Company, which is the church she serves at thebelonging.co. We'll be right back. So there's a good old hymn that goes, uh, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Is that true of us? Do we love to tell the story of Jesus? Do we love to tell the story of what Jesus has done uh, for us, in us, um, and, and allow him then to tell his story through us? Do we love to tell the story? Do we love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love? The world loves to tell all kinds of stories, and some of those stories are not accurate to who Jesus is, nor what, uh, nor what he has done on behalf of humanity. The world's stories are often not the whole story. So here's an idea. Maybe you and I need to refresh the story in our own minds and in our own hearts by reading the Gospels, by reading the epistles, um, as, uh, as Alex just suggested to us. And then let's get out there and let's tell the story. Um, the world cannot argue with your testimony. They cannot argue with the change that has taken place in your life because of Jesus Christ, by the power of God's grace at work within you. The world cannot argue with that. That is the story that you have that's unique to tell in the world today, how God has set you free from the power, um, from the penalty of sin and death, from the power of sin in this life. You and I need to not only learn to tell the story, we need to love to tell the story. God's grace is irresistible. You and I are just like holding it in our, in, in like a little hostage Don't hold the word of God nor God's grace hostage today. Let it flow freely into your conversations and out into the world that God so loves that one other person might hear the good news through you today. Learn to love to tell the story of of Jesus Christ. I love to tell the story. Do you? Let's get out there today and tell the good news story of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ 
that the gospel of grace might be extended to more and more people. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. To check it out online, go to MyFaithRadio.com or ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.